I'm Lewis Carter, and my wife here in the front row is, is Ann. And uh, the, um, this topic, um, we have the lights out, please? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this topic uh, <coughs> went through several um, revisions. But it's the impact of deformities in the emerging world. Now, that's, um, that is, uh, it can be either congenital deformities or, as it's mentioned in the, uh, in the brochure, in the booklet, or it can be uh, acquired deformities, and we'll talk about that. Um, well, let's see here. I hope I can. There we go. Um, and there we are. We've been a team for a long time. Um, and, um, in fact, we've been in medical missions for 40 years. Wow. Never thought. And we started out uh, just in Egby, Nigeria, SIM, with SIM, uh, which is um, just for any of you who have not been by the SIM booth and are serious about missions, please stop by. SIM probably is the largest uh, medical mission organization in the world. Uh, Someone told me yesterday that we had something like 231 medical missionaries, including, you know, that's everybody, uh, nurses and therapists. And we have um, uh, 40-something doctors, and uh, nine of those are surgeons, apparently. I did not realize that. But anyway, we, we have a, a booth down there, a booth that, will, that are certainly, uh, uh, certainly show that we do have a lot of people in missions including Dennis and everybody else. So please stop by if you're interested in missions. Uh, I might just put a plug for SIM and that it's a, a mission organization that networks well with other organizations. We are not just uh, pure SIM. We network with uh, Africa in the mission. We network with TEAM. We network with United Missions Nepal. So we, we, are, we are a mission that would love to have you uh, join us, but we – and. But we don't care really how you join us. It would be nice if you join us as a full-time SIM missionary, but if you want to go out and another mission and be seconded to SIM, we'd love to have you. Uh, anyway, um, just a little bit about us. We, uh, <clears throat> we were in Nigeria. We saw the, the stigma of deformities, and we, that's why we went into plastic surgery. And, um, and then later in the in the hand surgery, and as I say there at the top, we went gradually into into all these things. Wow. Um, sorry. The, um, my wife went down there to get me a cup of coffee, and I was just waiting for her to get me some of that Starbucks-like coffee, and she brought me up some of that free coffee. And, <coughs> and then to, <coughs> she, to save money. Uh, it doesn't taste near as good, but that's okay. She she worked hard at that, so that's fine. Anyway, uh, so it was um, our going into plastic surgery was a gradual thing. We did not do it all of a sudden. It's difficult to do it all of a sudden, and I I, I recognize that the 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 challenges for going through nine years of training or something like that is is difficult. Of course, nowadays it's it's really six years, but if you add hand to it. It's seven or eight years at least. Um, but as I said, we've been with SIM for a long time. My wife and I now travel around the world and teach um, 
average about six weeks each for each trip and teach the missionary doctors how to take care of deformities. Uh, we recently had a book came out, Principles of Reconstructive Surgery in Africa, which hopefully will be revised and come out next year uh, as more or less reconstructive surgery for the world and not just for Africa. Um, so I'm going to put a little plug in here for missions uh, in general. I don't know how many of you here feel like you've been called in missions or have an interest in missions. I wonder how many made a definite commitment. Um, I don't think you're here by chance. I know sometimes maybe back home, your home church, wherever you're from, you know, oh, you went to a missions conference. Oh, wow, wow, you know. And you get all these warm fuzzies because people are so proud of the fact you went to a missions conference. Well, but why did you come here? You know, is there a reason you came here? You think God led you here. God led you here for a purpose. My life verse is Jeremiah 10.23. This is the verse that no one else has for the life verse. Now, I mean, you know, it's in the middle of the Bible there somewhere, and I, I'm kind of glad no one else has it for a life verse, but it's mine. And I encourage any of you others to take it for your life verse. It's a great life verse. But it says, it is not in man that walks to direct his steps. God makes the decisions for you. And sometimes we may not want that. But I guarantee you, by doing that, there's great joy in letting the Lord make those decisions for us. And I know there are a number here in this room that have allowed God to, to direct their steps one by one. Um, so, <clears throat> I hope you're not here for warm fuzzies. You go home and people say, oh, oh, you went off to a missions conference. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, I hope you're here for a reason. I hope maybe God's nudging you here. <clears throat> you know, years ago, I was at Urbana, and uh, SIM had a, a booklet there called Nudge. That was a top topic. And I looked at that thing when I first got there, and I said, Nudge? What in the world does that mean? It was a nice, you know, little booklet and where you take notes and everything. I said, Nudge? Well, that was a great title. I mean, because, you know, really, God nudges us along. It's not usually a zot. I'm, I'm working with a man right now. At, at Mayo Clinic, and he's in plastic surgery, and he's been uh, worried where, what he's going to be doing next year or year after when he finishes his residency in plastic surgery. And I, t I told him, I said, look, just don't worry about it. God's going to nudge you along. He'll move you from one place to the other according to his will. You know, don't worry about knowing all about what the future holds now because God will, God will lead you step by step. And maybe God's nudging you here. Maybe he's nudging you to make a commitment. You've been thinking about missions. But, you know, remember, Satan doesn't put in our hearts about missions. Desire. The desire for missions, the desire to be interested in missions, comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay? So if, 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 I don't think you came here just out of chance. I think there's a purpose. And I think God probably had a purpose for many of you being here. So the terminology... Uh, I had emerging world in the title, but, you know, there's some other terms that sort of mean the same thing. Third world, developing world, and even, as some, a friend of mine said, resource poor area. So they, those are pretty much interchangeable. I guess resource poor area is a more of a politically correct word, uh, terminology today, but anyway, they all do. What's a deforming? A deformed part? Malformation, distortion, all those things you can read there. 
Um, that's that's horrible. But we'll see a picture uh, that you know, a patient that they thought his parents thought he was ugly. Well, is a is a is a club foot a deformity? Yes, it is. A cleft lip? Yes, it is. Uh, what about a cleft palate? Well, if people who know hear somebody speak that has a cleft palate, they know they have a cleft palate. But, you know, you don't see a cleft palate. We have a lot of, you have a lot of teams going out to do cleft lip work. And some of you may have even been on teams to do, go out and do cleft lip work. And that you go out and you do, a lot of times, because cleft palates are harder to do, they, the teams do cleft lips first. And they leave the cleft palates behind. And unfortunately, if a cleft palate is not done by two years of age, that person is going to have permanently bad speech. So really, the cleft palate needs to be done early. But it's not seen. And see, what happens is, if you do the cleft lip first in many places of the world, the mother doesn't see the cleft palate. Unless she really looks hard. So once the cleft lip is taken care of, the mother doesn't bring the child back for a cleft palate. And the child will have bad speech the rest of their lives. So the cleft palate is, is internal and is often not seen, but really is, is, leaves a very severe speech impediment. <coughs> These other things here, well, they're, they're, you know, they really aren't, in the, in the general sense of the word, Intestinal treason, tetralogy, there are deformities, but we don't think of them as deformities. Deformities we think of as external, like the cleft lip there. And the invisible is the internal. It's really, not a, it's really not, we don't think of that as a deformity as much. We think of that as a defect or a malformation. Here's the cleft palate there. But, you know, oftentimes the invisible is much more severe, much more severe and life-threatening. So anyway, when you re review the literature and you Google deformities, you'll find that when you Google deformities, let me have some more of this coffee. My wife was so sweet to go get. It's not Starbucks, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, the, um, but when you look up deformities, you'll find that uh, it talks about external things. It, it almost n never, if you Google the formulas, will you find it talks about internal problems. So, but the internal ones are the ones that, that you don't see. And, uh, and as I said, there's oftentimes a little stigma to that. And so the mother that has had the cleft lip repaired and the cleft palate still there, she doesn't rush back to the hospital to have the cleft palate done. And oftentimes, by the time the child gets back to the, to get the cleft palate operated on, the speech is set. It won't, you can't change it unless you had really a really a good speech therapist come by and help. But even then, it, it really need, good speech therapy needs to start before they're two years of age. There's a baby born with a deformity every four and a half minutes. And one, point, one, one out of five infant deaths are due to a birth defect. Now, that's not due to a cleft lip, obviously. External defects rarely, like a club foot or a cleft lip, rarely cause death. It's the internal ones that cause the death. So it's, um, and certainly as Christians, we don't terminate the presidency because we believe that all life is fearfully and wonderfully made. And, you know, there are so many examples of that uh, in the Christian world of parents who have had 
deformed children and the blessings those parents, that, that deformed child has been to them. And I'll mention that further. Um, so, you know, I have friends that have, have uh, uh, friends that have five children of their own. That's not Dick Branford here, but uh, they have adopted uh, two other children from China. And now they're getting ready to adopt a third with deformities. I mean severe deformities. Uh, these children have been such a great blessing in their home. And, uh, and they're adopting more. Um, anyway, the extra deformities have a significant impact. Uh, they're seen. And people want to know why that happened. There must be a reason. Uh, anything bad has a reason. Um, and un, but unseen deformities don't really, don't really require a reason. We don't ask if a child has an internal deformity, a heart malformation. Well, what's the cause so much? Um, in the evil world, in the world out there, everything that's bad must, must have some evil cause. There must be a reason for it. Because we live in a sinful, evil world. Here's McKinkey Hospital in Zambia. I was there about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And um, one day, the, the doctor there, Dr. David Friend, uh, he said, you want to go with me to, I'm going to go and do an autopsy. And I said, you know, what's it for? He said, well, he said, this, this person died unexpectedly. It was not somebody should have died. It was an unexpected death, okay? And so when the person died, they, because it was unexpected, they figured it must be some witchcraft. Somebody must have brought a curse or a judgment on this family and on this, on this man that died. So what they do is the pallbearers take up the body, and they start walking. I, I'm sure it's predetermined, but they walk, and wherever the, supposedly the coffin leads them, is to the person who bewitched the person who caused the death. So they will go to the home of the witch, who's usually an old person, and they'll kill them. Uh, unbelievable. But it's, uh, it's, it's a practice in, in other countries, not just Zambia. But it's, it, was, it, was, uh, it was just a, uh, a very unusual uh, tradition there. Um, so... We, we live in a, in, in a godless, evil world, especially where a society where they don't know or understand God. They haven't had missionaries go there. Uh, they don't have a, a knowledge of the Word of God. There's no uh, Christian heritage. And um, oftentimes, in these areas, there's no chance of early correction. You know, having a child born with a deformity, like a cleft lip, in this country... They get repaired early by three months. But in so many parts of the world, they won't get repaired early. That's why we have so many cleft lip teams going on, to repair these early. Uh, and, and that's wonderful. Again, I go back to the fact that you need to repair the cleft palate too. But anyway, um, if, if a child continues to have a cleft lip and is not repaired, oftentimes the parents won't take them out in the daytime. They take them out only at night. And they take them out in the daytime, they put a shawl over them so people can't see it. So anyway, we talked about this. 
so really, external defects are called deformities. Internal are either called a defect or a malformation or something like that. Um, as I said before, external, external deformities are, not, are often not life-threatening, but they carry with it great stigma. Now, here's a, here's a, uh, a lady that my friend sitting here on the front row is a, was, what, what, uh, has been a pro at fixing and repairing, Dr. Harold Adolph. Here's a lady who has no external deformity, but she drips, drip, drip, drip. That's drip, drip, drip urine. And so there's a horrible smell and odor. And, and there is a, a great stigma attached to her because people smell that from, from a long distance away. If, if, if a lady was dripping in this room right now, you would know it. And you'd all turn around and look, hmm, where is that smell coming from, you know? And, uh, and, there'd, and there'd be a stigma to it. I've always said that if you see a lady, childbearing age usually, leaving a hospital in Africa with a big smile on their face, big smile on their face. They were once wet, but now they're dry, just like this lady here. Uh, that's the vesco-vaginal fistula. Uh, when we were in Nigeria uh, years ago, we realized there was a significant stigma attached to these external deformities, and there was always a question of, of a sin or a curse, a judgment on somebody, or maybe they were involved with an evil spirit. Uh, somebody had to be blamed. Uh, and these often rejected. Dr. Bransford here on the, knows these both these children, uh, knows them well, knows Hudson and Vivian. Uh, the Word of God has something to say about this in several places, but especially in John 9, 1 through 3. As, as the Lord passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the words, works of God might be displayed in him. So, there's a purpose for these children that are born with defects, disorders, dis deformities. And also, for those who are older, who are getting in bad accidents or burned, there's a reason for this. We may not see it, easy to see it, but it's a reason. Um, there's a man there on the, on the right, on your left, I saw in, in Zambia. Now, you know, this is, it's unusual. He was, he was actually uh, adult with that, been living with it all his life. That's was amazing. He was also married, which was even more amazing. And he had four kids. That was even more amazing. But anyway, and the, and the one on the left was Patrick, uh, who, was, uh, who was from Congo, but he, we saw him uh, at uh, Kajabi um, with a bad burn. Now, you know, I teach reconstructive surgery around the world, but I also learn and, you know, there are a lot of people around the world that can teach me. So I learned how to take care of Patrick here from doctors in India and how to take care of this bad 
neck. And I'll show you his picture later. So, the conjunctal deformity is oftentimes the question is, did the parent sin? With the with a acquired deformity, you wonder, well, did that did that person who has the deformity did they sin? Here's a child with a cleft lip, of course, and and that's after surgery. And you you can imagine how thrilled the parents were that this child who had this severe uh, deformity at birth a few months later was looked like this. This is actually a child from Peru. Anyway, um, I don't have, unfortunately, when I first years in, when Anne and I were first in Nigeria, I had many, many patients with beautiful tattoos on their abdomen. I mean beautiful tattoos, both men and women. Unfortunately, I was not a plastic surgeon then, so I wasn't into taking pictures. And I didn't have an iPhone either back, back in 1970. Um, and a lot of you didn't even know what iPhones were. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah. Anyway, so here's the patient with, with, with this is not very pretty, is it? But you know, it's 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 a tribal tattoo. This came off the internet. And a friend of mine, Don Meyer, sent me uh, sent me one uh, picture, and uh, the uh, but I lost it. I don't know what went to it. But anyway, it wasn't very pretty either. But some of these tattoos, if you, any of you worked in uh, Nigeria uh, know just how beautiful the tattoos can be. Um, and these patients come in sometimes seriously ill. You know, they're in shock. They're just, I mean, it's, they're bad off, you know, and you're, you're really worried about doing surgery because you know they could die in surgery. Uh, now, the patient, though, the, all they know is they have this beautiful tattoo. As I said, much prettier than this. A beautiful tattoo. And they don't, uh, they can't see inside themselves. They don't know how sick they are. They have no idea how sick they are. And, you know, you take them to surgery, and you pray, and you pray, and, and somehow maybe they have a vivitus or whatever they have wrong. They, they recover. And then all the family can see, the patient can see after surgery, and that's not a very good scar, but that's what I mean, a scar right down the middle. It's a long scar because it's a, it's a bad abdominal problem in there, and you have to make a big incision from stem to stern, from xiphoid to pubis. And the patient's not happy after surgery. You save their life. And I was shocked over and over again in Nigeria how the patients, when this after surgery, they were ungrateful because they saw that scar down through their beautiful tattoo. Um, so anyway, and this is just off the internet, but that's not a that's not how the tattoos looking like not 30 years ago looked in Nigeria. But anyway, you can see this if you have a scar down the middle there, that's not doesn't look very nice. So anyway, again, I've got a lot of pictures here that date back to years with uh, Dick Bransford and uh, uh, here on the second row in Kenya. But this is uh, these little kids. You see, they're, most of them are smiling. They're happy. Uh, they're at this place called Joytown, and uh, their motto is "Disability is not inability." Um, and certainly, this is this was, and I hope it still is, a great place. And uh, in fact, Dick here hired a number of people who graduated from there. But these kids, you walking around the the hospital there, or their or their school there, they were happy. But they had to go home on holidays. They left the school on holidays and had to go home. 
And when they did, they were called Kionje, which, in, which means the crippled one. It's a derogatory term. Uh, one time I had a lady in Nigeria that had a big gorder, and she was called the lady with the big gorder, which was not a very nice term either, apparently. Um, so reconstructive surgery removes or, or le- at least lessens the stigma. Here's a little boy with his cleft lip in Papua New Guinea. And uh, his father would not name him. He was so, so ugly. So I said, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm not going to name him. So he named him Wayla. Now, Wayla means broken mouth or ugly one. Now, how, how would you like to be going around called Wayla? That's, that's horrible, isn't it? I mean, that's, but, that, but that's what he was called. So we're not there in Papua New Guinea very long, but we were able to, for he did not have a cleft palate. But we couldn't have done the cleft palate either because our anesthesiologists, our nurse anesthetists, were scared to death. He never put a patient to sleep with a cleft palate, a cleft lip. So he was scared anyway. Not, he really been scared if he had a cleft palate. But anyway, so we operate on him. And we took the sutures out three days later and, and left. That's it. We did him right near the end of our time there. And this is just three days after surgery. Hopefully he looked a lot better later. And so the, somebody said to the father, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't leave his name as Wayla. You name him Lewis. Anyway, I'm not sure if that was better or not. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway. So here's, a, here's an interesting case. This is also from Zambia. My wife and I have been to, to 20 countries traveling around and teaching plastic and, and uh, reconstructive surgery. So we've been to a lot of different countries. This was in Zambia. This is about a 12-year-old boy. This is what we call a cleft hand. Okay? A cleft hand... It's a, it's a bad deformity. You, you see there's a, there's a cleft here, but there's a wide open area here. But, boy, can he ever grip a baseball. I mean, you can imagine how good he can grip something or a football, you know. And I, um, I'm, not, I'm not proud. As I was talking a few weeks ago at another place, I, I don't have I – keep I keep in my back pocket or in my front pocket or somewhere, I keep it on my iPhone – I keep a list of consultants back in the States who nowadays I can, t- I can contact right away. You know, isn't it wonderful? We can contact people right away, especially from Africa. I mean, we can call them. We can text them. We can do anything. It's fantastic. It doesn't cost very much. And so this child, I text my friend in Dallas, who's the world's authority on, on pediatric hands and a, and a doctor who's taught me much, Mary Beth Asaki. And said, Mary Beth, what should I do with this? It's a 12-year-old boy. You know, most of them are young kids, real young. I said, 12-year-old boy. Uh, Adrian Flatt, who was a famous hand surgeon, said, it's a functional triumph because you can really grip well, but a social disaster. And in this case, it was a social disaster. And Mary Beth said, oh, Lewis, he's 12 years old. He's got good function. I leave him. Don't, don't mess around with him. Great advice. Only problem was this cleft hand had a great stigma in the community of northern Zambia. And the mother begged me, begged me, please operate on, on, on my son. So we did, and everybody was happy. Again, not necessarily a perfect result, but praise God, um, you don't have to, you can make them better, and, and it, that's well accepted, and, and people are happy that they're better. Also, surgery removes the curse of possible evil spirit. Here's a, a man in Papua New Guinea also. Uh, 
Papua New Guinea, there, uh, much of Papua New Guinea is, is it, either in the north and the south of Papua New Guinea. The highlands in the, in the center of the country, same for Irinjaya or uh, Papua now, they have river valleys, and there are no roads. There are no roads, there are no paths, there are no bicycles, uh, no cars, and everybody gets around by dugout canoe. And so, uh, and they go for they go for miles on dugout canoes, hundreds of miles on the rivers. This was on the Sepik River, and um, so this patient came to me two days, two days on his dugout canoe. He came to this little health center up there in the upper left-hand corner, and to this hospital, this operating room. <laughs> it looks better than that when we operate. But anyway, uh, so here he is, and uh, he came out, dug out canoe, and there he is after surgery. Um, he came back about six weeks later and told the nurse there, thank you, Dr. Carter, to tell me I'm not a monster anymore. Kids are not afraid of me. And I really, I hesitated because our nurse and nurses said not put a patient to sleep on this. I hesitated doing the surgery. Now that was stupid on my part. Why would I think there's no, no stigma in the jungle? But there was stigma. He lived in the jungle, deep in the jungle. There was stigma there. And uh, so I, I learned there some years ago, that's 2004, the stigma associated with the deformity is worldwide, even in the deepest jungle. So I never turn anybody away now that has a deformity. I try to help them, no matter where they live. And also, it allows reintegration into society, being accepted by society. This is a boy that um, we saw at Kajabi with Dr. Bransford, Patrick. Patrick and I still communicate, and I see him every year when I go to Kajabi. But he said, he as he he went away and came when he came back, he he gave to the other doctors and nurses. There. He actually sent me this card. He actually mailed it to me. He said, "Dear doctor, as these two lines, the the, the cubs here, feel protected and loved with their father and mother, so I also feel very much protected since you gave me a mouth to smile with." So he was he could he was accepted back into his society. And a lot of times you can return to work. Kids that are not allowed to go to school, kids like Vivian here, sometimes are not allowed into the classroom. The teachers think they're bringing an evil spirit to the classroom. So, you know, we, um, again, this is using, trying to, let's just go back there. You can see how the axilla are, are frozen to there's no axilla there. That's just scarred across, healed across. And uh, so, obviously, you can't raise your arms up, can't do anything. So we operate on both both sides, and that's what we call a periscopic flap. You know, again, I say you learn something every place you go. And I was having this is I'll show you the next picture. This was um, I was having trouble getting this skin here. It came away from down here up to here, getting it to live. And that's the first patient I used a piece of latissimus dorsi for those who are in medical school, <clears throat> and the latissimus dorsi muscle, taking a portion, a portion of the latissimus dorsi muscle, taking it with the flap, allowed it to live. And that was the first one I did back in 2001. I've done almost every time that when the back is severely burned, 
uh, like you, you take the muscle with the, with the skin, with the burn skin. Um, anyway, this is just her hand. And, you know, uh, we fortunately had an occupational therapist at the time there to, to help uh, take, take care of her. Now, this is, um, I'm getting to, um, I, I hesitate to put this slide in, but we treat the whole person. And Vivian had had about, I don't know, Dick, 15, 16 operations, a lot of operations, hands, arms, everything, you know. And, um, but there was one thing missing. Uh, and uh, as I kept going back to, to Kenya, uh, I knew that we needed to do a little bit further surgery to really, to really complete her care and make her a real woman. Uh, and she had, you can imagine here, her breasts, oops, sorry, Anyone show that quite yet? But anyway, you can imagine the the breast being scarred down here. So we had to release the breast, and we had to give her a nipple. And she's now finishing nursing school or a, a, some sort of health type school, and wants to come back to the hospital, to Kajabi Hospital, to work. Um, and there she is with her nipples. Um, so anyway, this kind of surgery shows the love and compassion of Jesus Christ, uh, and follows the example of the Lord in the New Testament with his divine surgery. Uh, and gives us a chance to share the, mess, the gospel message and gets our, the pastors that we work with, with grateful pa- parents and patients, um, an opportunity to give the Christian perspective to a deformity. Now then, Here's the case. I'm not sure if Dick Bransford sent me this picture, but it's a pretty bad one, isn't it, Dick? Uh, but, you know, the, um, and this man here in the front row has done thousands of these. And the question always arises, I don't do these, but the question always arises, why do you operate on a child that's going to be paralyzed the rest of their life? And this child likely is paralyzed and will never, never walk. Uh, so why do you... Operate on somewhere like this. They're going to be, uh, they'll have bed sores, they'll get all sorts of things, uh, urinary tract infections. But the, in doing this surgery, it gives you an opportunity, or the chaplains, the nurses, to present the gospel to the family, help them understand why and understand it's not their fault. That it's God's perspective, from God's perspective, it's, uh, it's not sin, but we live in a sinful world. And we give them some hope for a future. Um, but that's a question that's always asked. Is do you do surgery? Do, why do you do surgery on children like this? But it gives you a great opportunity. And I could, Dick Branson here could tell us about the number of people with this that have come to uh, Kajabi with this condition, and they have been led, to, the parents have been led to the Lord, not the children. The parents have been led to the Lord through surgery and through the doctors showing some love and compassion on them because of their severe deformity. So it's worthwhile. It's very much worthwhile. Here's a, another child from Kenya. Has macrodactyly or gigantism. You can see how big the fingers are. Um, just the x-ray. 
And that's what we ended up with. We had to take some fingers off. We also had to do epiphysodesis and stop the fingers from growing because they were already adult size. This child was so upset. Oh, so upset. Just cried at me and yelled at me. Oh, it just, just was really, really bitter that we, had, we left her deformed like this. I mean, she was deformed ahead of time, but, you know, she didn't have four fingers and a thumb. So she was really, um, she was really upset. Came back about a month or two months later and brought me a nice card and thanked me for it. It was a, it was a, it was a, a wonderful reunion when she came back with her family. Her family was understanding all along pretty much, but except where the father was, the mother wasn't. But anyway, uh, it was, it was wonderful to have this little girl bring, come back and give me a card she'd written on and thank me for, for helping her. Um, you don't always see the results of surgery early on. It may take some years before you see how, how, how good their brain is, you know, and if they'll be able to go to school or walk. Fatima is a little girl I also saw in Kajabi uh, with Aperts, a, a type of Apert syndrome, uh, craniosynostosis. Anyway, she had complex syntactic, and we operated on her um, three times, but both hands at the same time. So we did six, hands, six operations. Um, and that's just as we got, we couldn't give her, the mother wanted four fingers and a thumb. We couldn't give her four fingers and a thumb. We gave her three fingers and a thumb. And we were very fortunate to be able to do that. Those fingers don't move very well. But they at least are fingers. Um, and the mother was extremely grateful. Now this mother, this family is a Muslim family. Uh, and, but they kept coming back year after year for the next operation. And they were just very, very grateful. And we had a chance to show them God's love. Something about this condition is a lot of times, as the saying goes, they have a, if they have, they have a good head, they have bad hands. They have a bad head, they have good hands. This is a, this child had <coughs> bad hands. You can see how bad the deformity is up here. But a pretty good head. The child was, uh, relatively smart. Trousers in Zambia, same thing, had to come back many times so we could each give, give them, uh, separate the fingers and give them more fingers. Now, this child, we were able to give her, this was not, this is congenital, this is not congenital, this was a, a burn. And you see how they, these fingers are separated, but now there's one small and ring finger. So we still had to separate those, and we did. It doesn't look too good there because it's right after surgery. But hopefully, when we go back to Zambia sometime, we'll, we'll see this child. Monica. Um, the, um, so anyway, uh, there, there's lots and lots. Has any of you worked in, in anywhere in the world? You know, there's lots and lots of congenital deformities, congenital and also acquired deformities, and they all carry with it a stigma of some sort. Um, is the question is, do we have, is there a stigma with deformities in the United States? What do you think? Of course there is. We live in a sinful world. Uh, and even if surgery is possible, still there's a stigma. And, and, and with these bad deformities, like this girl I showed with the Aper syndrome, the divorce rate is extremely high. My older sister, my older sister Janet, was born with many uh, surgical deformities. She has seven abdominal operations in her first year of life in addition to Down syndrome, and that she was my older sister. So you can imagine my parents were worried about me.
uh, and uh, and they could have been easily angry and rejected God. My father was not a believer. Uh, my mother was a nominal believer. But you know, God used this and used a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor to come alongside them, and they turned to God rather than rejecting God. Uh, and I'm a product of that decision that they that they trust in the Lord for this horrible deformity and didn't reject him. So there was eternal purpose in my sister's life. My father's salvation and Anne and I here. We would not be here. Just other this is a lady we found in the hallway in India with his cleft lip. And I said to her, you know, are you here to have surgery? No, I'm here with I'm here with a friend. I said, well, do you, do you want surgery? Well, she said, well, maybe. But my father told me I was beautiful. So she had lived all these years. And, of course, just as we have many cleft lip and cleft palate teams going out, uh, which is good because people like this, like this little girl in India also, she, she had no money for surgery. So, you know, we were able to find money for a surgery and, and do the surgery on her. And, of course, as always, I'm teaching and teaching doctors like this Indian doctor how to do the operation. There's just a number of doctors that... Huh? You're moving along. Okay. Okay. Thank you. She's keeping up. She's anyway. So, um... <laughs> anyway, these are just... Last year, last year uh, some doctors in Kenya had a party for me. I think they thought I'd never come back again. Um... But anyway, these are, and uh, Dick here knows, these are just some of the doctors at the Cure Hospital there uh, that we've been teaching over the years, and uh, uh, just some wonderful young men and women, actually, uh, there. Uh, the, the, one that, the one that took the picture is the one that I've worked with the most, Peter Nthumba, but he's not there. But anyway, this is, um, so we teach one-on-one in the operating room. Um, and we go to, their, to, the, to the doctor's home. Their home is their hospital. That's why we, we call our ministry homeschooling for missionary and national doctor, because we go to their home, their operating room, and teach them there. Um, this is a doctor there in Ethiopia. He was in Kenya, not Ethiopia, and we spent some time with him last year. had a great time. We, since we can't pronounce his name, we call him Dr. Teddy. Just a wonderful young man. Uh, and... I don't know if Carol's in the room. Carol, are you in the room? I don't see her. Carol's here at this meeting at Tenemuk Hospital. We've been to Tenemuk many times to teach her in her in her home, her operating room, and just lectures. Um, I've come to this meeting a number of times, and some years ago I gave a talk on jungle plastic surgery, uh, which I love to give. Uh, but... Um, the, uh, I met this man, Drew Wong, and he was going to be going to, I didn't meet him, actually. He was going to be general surgeon. He was just a first-year resident. He came back two years later and said, well, you know, after I heard you speak, I, I uh, changed the, the plastic surgery. And now he's finished plastic surgery and finished, finished cranial facial surgery. And now he's waiting on his wife to finish her family practice residency uh, up in New York. This is a young girl, maybe in the room, Courtney, who uh, is a speech therapist. She came to me a couple of years ago and said, I'm a speech therapist. And, you know, that's, that's, that's almost as unique as plastic surgery, you know. There are not many speech therapists, but as I said a while ago, many times cleft palates, patients need speech therapy so they can go out into the world and have a normal life. 
So Courtney's waiting on the Lord to show her where she can go uh, and be a speech therapist for kids that have, that have cleft palates. So surgery removes the stigma. You see the stigma, this is before and after pictures. Um, that's a gunshot wound on the lower left. Burns Vivian again. Uh, and gives the deformed disabled and their parents a hope for the future uh, and a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We may not know, uh, we may know some of the medical reasons for deformities, but we do know that no matter what, God allows these. Uh, and we, we may never fully understand God's ways. We won't. Um, we know that deformities are a result that we live in a sinful world. Um, not, not because of our sin, but we live in a sinful world. Uh, and God has a purpose in each case, and our responsibility is just to trust him. Um, as missionaries, as some of you here have for years shown God's love and compassion as you've traveled around the world to operate on these children and adults too. Again, remember that verse, Jeremiah 10:23. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his step. Young people here, please allow God to direct your steps. We never planned to do this. We never, I never, if you told me back when I was in residency that I was going to be a plastic surgeon, I'd say, no way. Hand surgeon, absolutely not. But God pushed us along. He nudged us along to where we are now. God made our choices. Uh, and I just would just encourage you to allow God to nudge you along. Allow God to make your choices. So I thank you for coming. I'm surprised some of you got up so early in the morning and thought that nobody, nobody would be here. But again, remember that verse, Jeremiah 10:23. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. A lot of young people here, please let God direct your steps. You'll never be sorry. Thank you.